fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies. Now, this is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology, and we make it a reality. We are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn. With me, physics phenom, Dr. Michael Dennett. Dan, great to be here as always, though. I sometimes wonder, what if? What if I wasn't here? I, You know, I don't want to talk about this, but it would be kind of interesting to see what it would be like to do the show without you. Who am I kidding, Denon? We can't do the show without you. So I don't ever want to see that episode. Uh, and the other episode I don't want to see is one without our enigmatic engineer, Ben Siebser. Ben, I know you're with us. Where are you recording from this week? Dan, today I seem to be in a Europe of the past in the heat of a tank battle. Thankfully, this giant mech just showed up and seems to be taking care of all these baddies for us. Well, that's good. We don't want any baddies harassing you, Ben, because we got a lot to talk about today. And we are what we're what we're getting into is this great Marvel show called What If. Now, I really like this concept for a show because basically what they do is they take, you know, they ask what if. I mean, it's, it couldn't be much more easier than that. Uh, they, they look at a scenario in the Marvel universe that, you know, what if something happened? What if uh, Black Panther was actually Iron Man? What if, uh, you know, Wolverine had green skin? I, I don't know. These are horrible pitches. These would never get made into shows. Uh, but that's the idea of this show. We're going to look at the first episode, which is where Peggy Carter, what if she took the super soldier serum, serum instead of Steve Rogers? Uh, I like this concept. You know, Denon, I know you were we're talking about uh, what if this couldn't do the show without you. What do you think about this look at alternate universes in the Marvel universe as a whole? Well, I really like it. Um, I wasn't sure if I was going to like it or not, um, but it's fun. And, you know, it goes back. I hate to bring up the past, Dan, but our longtime viewers will know we have occasionally debated, you know, how much do you change a superhero before, like, say, Batman's no longer Batman if you change his backstory or Spider-Man is no longer Spider-Man? And so there's an interesting twist to this. You know, Peggy Carter, is she still Peggy Carter? Or is she now some, what, Captain Britannica? I, I don't know really how it works. I'm sorry. I, I can't remember names, and I'm bad at that part of it. But And what happens to Steve I, I think Rogers? it was just Captain Carter. I think it was just Captain Carter. Oh, just Dennis. Captain I think Carter. Was, you know, no, I, was trying. I like Captain Britannica, though. That's good. I like that. Um, so I, I really like, I, you know me, I'm a physicist. We always ask, what if? That, that is our bread and butter, the curiosity that goes into this. <laughs> well, I think so. What about you, Ben? I know you're a Marvel guy. Did you like this concept of what if, or are you really trained in on, hey, the original story, canon is canon, and we must follow the original storyline? Well, I think, you know, I come a little bit from the comic uh, part of the Marvel universe where there's all sorts of different universes and reboots and what and whatnot. So I, I like this approach of, you know, exploring different storylines and having fun with the world because it doesn't need to be super serious. I really enjoyed that aspect of it. No, I think that that's, that makes a lot of sense to me. One of the things that I think is kind of cool about this show at this time is this idea of, look, exploring quantum worlds is very popular in superheroes and comic books and that kind of stuff. Well, that, you know, that's usually where you find this, you know, where we kind of dwell, right, guys, where we kind of are scoping out. But this is actually right in the middle of the larger zeitgeist right now because there's a show called Ordinary Joe, which is coming out, which basically looks at two kids following college graduation and follows three different quantum timelines of what would happen if. 
right? You know, I think even the tagline is it's it's only natural to wonder what if. A direct thievery of what if from the Marvel Universe, which came out in the 70s. However, I found this to be very interesting. Now, what do you guys think then? And I'm looking at you first. What do you think about this? What do you think are the consequences of the of the regular Joes out there getting into the quantum universe? Well, that's an interesting question because you really have to ask, you know, how much when we talk about the multiverse and we've done it before and we talk about quantum decisions, you know, which quantum decisions really break off a whole new universe and which keep you kind of the same? Because we talk at the microscopic level, it's real easy. The, the electron go through the left or right slit? Is it spin up or is it spin down? And for mm -hmm. you is it really every little choice makes a different you? And I would argue not. I would argue that there's sort of a coherence to the macroscopic person that, that keeps you in a limited number of paths. But that's what's kind of cool. Not even I've watched the show yet, but, you know, three choices I buy. Like, what if, you know, I didn't actually get into grad school? What would my profession be? But, you know, the microscopic little differences of, you know, We've talked, joked about it. Did I tie my left shoe or right shoe first? Are probably not making different me's. <laughs> well, I would hope not. I mean, what if tying your shoes with your left or right hand is fundamental to who Denon is? Do you think then it would be a difference? No, I, th I think I think it's clearly just shoe tying. Shoe tying away. Though I do, I, you don't know this, Dan. I have actually shoes that are haunted. They untie themselves while I sit here now. And, and I think that's <laughs> really like a quantum thing. And I'm going to get the ghost people into it, you know, measure my shoelaces. <laughs> What if you're a better shoe tire with your right hand and then they're tighter? But if you tie them with your left hand in this alternate universe, that's when the haunted shoe comes in. That could be. That could explain it. I don't know, Ben, do you have haunted shoes or do you even believe in haunted shoes? Where are you with this? And Dan, yeah, we're going way shoes? off topic here, but that's okay. What if? <laughs> I mean, for me, I, I think really what it comes down to with shoelaces is the chunkier, the better. You really want reliable shoelaces so that... Uh, you know, they one, they don't fail on you, but also the the bigger they are, the more friction and the less likely those ghosts are going to be able to untie them. Spoken like an engineer. I love the way you guys choose some of the most mundane topics uh, and the most mundane things that people don't think about. That makes a lot of sense, Ben. Uh, you know, and what I love about this particular world and quantum universes in general is with, with this show, I like this this singular exploration of a what if question. I love that. I think that's what's fun about this. This is, to me, the best use of the multiverse in comics because what actually has put me off of comic books and Marvel and DC as comic books you know, recently in the past 10, 15 years is the number of times they use multiverses to reset the world. And when you go back to the comics, they're almost nothing like you remember. There's no familiarity. You know, it, it, there has to be some level of connection. You know, even if you don't want to follow what I did when I was, a, you know, a child and my the Peter Parker I grew up with, if you want to change him around and make ultimate Spider-Man or something. That's one thing. But when you start combining these worlds and doing it so many times and resetting the universe, you alienate your audience. And that's what happened to me. I know I'm going on a little bit of a rant here, but I love that this is singular. Uh, maybe you guys don't care about this world resetting so much, but this exploration I thought was really great. And it talks about in the intro to this show, how that time is an endless prism of possibilities, you know, and, and I really thought that that was interesting. Now, is that true, Denon? Is there really an endless number of possibilities? Is that right? Well, there's a very, very large number. And I think there's a difference between endless and infinite and all possibilities. 
right? And it, it's a very simple analogy here, right? The integers, you can count them, right? One, two, three, four, five. And there's an infinite number of integers, but it's not all possible numbers. There's numbers in between the integers. So I think the tricky thing here is not that anything can happen in the multi-universe, even if an endless number of things can happen. And that's mm. a subtle but important distinction. I, I, it kind of blew my mind there. I, th <laughs> I think that that's probably right. Well, now what about this? What about this, guys? Because another cool thing from the intro is that uh, the Watcher, who's the main guy, you're going to see him right here, right above my head here. Uh, he says that destiny is just an equation, a product of variables, right place, right time, or wrong place, wrong time. You know, Ben, I know you're our equation guy. Is it easy to toss, to kind of toss destiny up to uh, a simple equation that you could figure out? Uh, that you could figure out, I think, is a little trickier, but it certainly is some sort of probability equation, you know. You know, if we compare the scene of uh, Captain America being made in... Uh, first Avenger to the Captain Carter being made in uh, in this What If episode, th the two versions are very similar, uh, and you know it's just one tiny decision really changes that, and so it, it's hard to boil down how any of that could happen. But I think it what's clear from that episode is that, and from all these episodes in What If, is that just those tiny decisions really set off a butterfly effect that can affect all sorts of things down the line. And there's another aspect to this, Dan. If I add on what Ben said, it goes to show that there's maybe not endless possibilities. There's a butterfly effect, but I would argue there's also like a containment and controlled effect. You are going to get um, captains blank no matter what out of this scenario, right? Once you get there. <laughs> okay. and, and it's a fill right, in the blank. Yeah. And because I think what this says, if I was to make an equation out of this, you have two heroes in the room and a really smart dude, right? You have Carter and and um, Captain America. Steve, thank you. I couldn't remember his name for a second. You have yep. Carter and Steve and you have, you know... Um, what? Howard Stark. Howard Stark. Thank you. I'm, I'm just yeah. having trouble with names here, Dan. And <laughs> You're a concept man. You're not a name man. Exactly. Okay, you got the right You got concept. those three yeah. in the room. You're going to end up with Captain X. Um, and this just shows that there was only so much the Hydra agent and others could do to make this go wrong. No, I think that that's right. But I, I you know, I, I, I like what you guys did there. I have one question. This is always something that's kind of troubled me about this idea of quantum worlds, many, you know, the many worlds theory, right? We talked about the left shoe tying versus the right shoe tying. Now, from a calculation standpoint, Denon, if you, if there is a, a 50 50 chance you're going to do something in the, under this theory, both things are actually occurring, correct? Just in different universes. Yes. Okay. So if that's the case, I cannot imagine that there's actually a different world for every 50-50 decision. So I was thinking about this. And what I came up with is there has to be some way for the universe to limit universes, right? Like the universe as a whole, you know, I don't know how else to say that, you know, uh, a creator, let's say a God concept, some kind of whatever energy or whatever being runs the world, you know, the the watcher, let's say, whatever, if you don't want to be religious, if you want to be religious, let's say God, if they're, if they're running it, there has to be at some point a finite amount of energy and creating all of these individual universes seems like an exercise in absolute redundancy, especially if that change was so insignificant as to not affect or change the timeline in any real way. So I thought about this and there has to be, when I was in statistics class, we would would learn about how you would get a poker hand, right? So let's say you wanted a royal flush. You have to have 
you know, the uh, nine, uh, the nine, ten, jack, queen, king, ace. That's six cards. How about ten, jack, queen, king, ace of a single suit in your hand? It doesn't matter the order, right? So if you have 52 cards in a deck, what you, you know, the first card is one out of 52. The second card is now one out of 51 because you have one card less and so on and so on. That gives you the equation. But since they, the order doesn't matter, they can be in any way. So then you divide it by the number of combinations that still give you the same hand, but a different order. There has to be some way to, in, in an equation like that, kind of cut down on the number of redundant universes by eliminating ones that are so similar that they could not possibly, you can't really tell the difference between them. I don't know if I gave a long explanation if that makes any sense at all. Is that possible uh, or should I start over? You know, Dan, I actually think that's a really good visual analogy. Um, it's not exactly one-to-one -one in the equation, but it gives you a sense of the elements. And it goes back to the idea I said earlier of like a human being in our decisions. We're sort of a coherent, complicated thing, much more than, you know, a single electron making a choice. So picking that first card is a straightforward probability calculation, as you pointed out. Picking a cluster of cards, right? And, and distinguishing between them is a more complicated um, calculation that you do carefully. And I think this exactly, in my mind, is what's happening when you deal with the choices that humans are making. Which one are real quantum events that lead to two different universes? And which one are choices that actually never happened? I think you're exactly right. Not every apparent 50-50 situation makes a new quantum universe. Because not everyone is truly a, a unique quantum decision, just like your poker hand that you're making. Yeah. Right, right. Well, I, I like that you brought up this card analogy, Dan, too, because if you think about it also, it doesn't even matter what hand you get from kind of the universe perspective. Really, all that matters is who won the game. And there's, while there's an infinite, <laughs> right. there's literally an infinite amount of like, well, not an infinite amount, there's a near infinite amount of decks, shuffle decks in the world. If you do the statistics on it, the, the, if you properly shuffle a deck, that order of cards has never existed before and will never exist again. It, the, or, the orders of magnitude are, hmm. are crazy. Wow. And, and so, but, it, but then if I deal us a poker hand, there's really only two things that happen. I win or you win. And that's all that really matters to the universe. Who wins? Not which of the you know, 10 to the 90-something decks we had when we played that game. That's it. I mean, that's spoken like a true capitalist, right? It doesn't matter where you came from. <laughs> it just matters who wins. Or, Dan, like an evil engineer. I'm just saying. I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> right, right. But, I, but I think there's a logic to that that I think is, is extraordinarily important to think about because I want to bring it... Actually, I want to bring it back to the show. It seems like a long intro, but I, I said all that because what it does is it sets up this particular episode where Peggy Carter takes the super soldier serum instead of Steve Rogers. This is a very significant change, I think we can all agree, and definitely warrants a quantum universe. And, you know, I think that this, it's very significant for a couple of reasons. Number one, we're talking about 1942. You know, normally when we talk about the show, we're looking at future technology, but I like looking at 1942. Um, Peggy Carter is female. This is a very different time. This is not, you know, 2021. Um, this is this is this is 1942. She's British. She's not American like Steve Rogers. She's not a field agent, right? She's not trained in fighting like like uh, someone from the army would be. Um, and she's involved with 
with Steve Rogers, who is supposed to be Captain America. Now, these all can create a very complex series of events where this one significant event, although they in the show they say, oh, it's insignificant because she said she stayed instead of leaving, right? So that decision, maybe it's 50-50, then it's maybe a question for you. But it creates, this is a true butterfly effect, and I think that's why I like this show so much because it creates a very unique superhero. Um, Dana, what do you think about that? No, I do. I like I like that uniqueness. I like some of the challenges, and and I like the um, attempt, not the attempt, the way they sort of dealt with what is going to be forced to be the same and what is going to be different. You know, things like um, Peggy Carter and um, you know Steve Rogers cannot end up together. Um, that part stays the same, but how they end up apart. And when Captain whoever, in this case, Captain Carter, comes back, slightly different, but very, you know, similar time frames. Um, you know, what they do right, right, with right. Steve Rogers, you know, we've talked about that. They do weird things to keep him involved, build the suit, right? What, what, why was there not a suit in the other one for someone, right? right. Why, why is there suddenly think, yeah. a suit in this timeline? So there's some interesting questions, but it, it's interesting to me, what do they keep different and what do they make the same? Um, to your point that not, well, to my point, actually, that not everything happens, but an infinite number of things can happen. <laughs> I do love that your immediate instinct is to give me credit. Keep exactly. that up, Dennett. That's what I love about this version of you. I love this this universe's version of you, Dennett. Um, now, what about you, Ben? I mean, you saw this. I know you know these stories intimately. Did you like the, the way they kind of kept things different, but also kind of changed them up a little bit? Yeah, I, I definitely like that. I, I thought it was very clever how they still brought the, you know, car, uh, Peggy and Steve don't get to be together. I thought for a second, I I was really thinking, uh, you know, Steve in the armor was going to get sucked in there, but they they had uh, Peggy get sucked in, which was an interesting change. But what I also really liked is how way how much of a better uh, captain uh, Peggy Carter was. Like <laughs> I really appreciated how uh, she was a because of her friction with the uh, management, shall we say, of the army, she was willing to go on, on, on her own and get stuff done in ways that Steve, being a good soldier, was not able to do because he had to follow orders. I really kind of liked that uh, compare and contrast there. Yeah, I mean, because you wouldn't have that if another person, even if it was a female member of the army, right? Like they're still going to be following the same orders you're talking about. And that's what makes her so unique is she does have several different things that make her very different and give her, uh, I mean, in this case, it's an advantage, but definitely it's a whole different set of skills that are created. I, I really like that. Um, the other thing I like, you know, you mentioned, Denon, you have this Hydra Stomper character that you know, kind of um, that Steve Rogers ends up getting this Iron Man pre Iron Man suit. I, I, I was kind of on the fence about this because I thought to myself, why didn't this exist in, you know, the other timeline that Howard Stark had this sitting around? If he did, why didn't he deploy it and give it to somebody else? Um, but, you know, I'm curious. I want to know how this would work. Um you know, as the closest thing we have to a mad scientist, which is a true mad scientist in you, Ben, uh, what did you think about this? Is it steam powered? How is this thing flying around? How heavy is it? We're talking about real steel, you know, uh, not, not the shack version. What do you think about this? Well, I think first it, it shows the great example of the problem we always have in so many of these things. It's, it's the energy. Um, you know, there wasn't this didn't exist in the Captain America universe because the allies never got the Tesseract uh, in that universe. And by getting the Tesseract, because 
Captain Carter was able to defy orders and go and get the Tesseract before Hydra was able to start using it. Now Howard had his uh, energy source to make this mm. awesome Hydra Stomper. But in terms of its weight, that, that also got me really interesting. We see it fighting these tanks. We see it taking all these explosions and not moving. I, I calculated the energy of the biggest German tank rounds that were out there in the World War II era. And in order for only a meter per second of uh, speed to be imparted on this uh, Hydra Stomper, it would have to weigh 7,300 7, kilograms or something around 14,000 14, pounds to uh, not get pushed around by those tank guns, uh, not get pushed around much. So clearly this thing is either very heavy or it has some very cool retro, well-timed retro rockets so that when it's about to get hit, it uh, fires its rockets so that it uh, cancels out that momentum transfer. What about like magnets holding it in the ground? Would that work? Well, it's on mud. I don't know about that. All right, fair <laughs> I did All like right. you going with magnets, Dan. I was just going to point out, clearly Steve Rogers is not adding any weight to the thing. So it all has to come from the robot. <laughs> yeah, it's all yeah. it's all in the stomper. That's for sure. No, that is, you know, it, it, that, I mean, that's really, it's interesting to think about like how heavy it would, it would have to be in order to not get pushed around because obviously it's still flying. So let's say it weighed that amount. I mean, what, what's the, you know, what is a normal rocket way to put that into, into orbit? What would you need to get that yeah, well, the ground? Well, that's a problem. If it weighs that much for, uh, for the purposes of not getting thrown around by a tank round. Now that that's the same mass as our like largest satellites, which require, you know, you know, 100, 200 foot tall rockets to get them going anywhere interesting. So, you know, again, thankfully we have the Tesseract to provide the energy that we need to uh, lift it up. And I do like, Dan, how you were thinking this might be steam and, and Ben pointed out we go right from steam to the Tesseract. So <laughs> you need something a little more exotic than steam. I had a feeling you might need something a little more exotic. Uh, you know, but this this makes me think, you know, you're talking about the, the suit getting bounced around by by, uh, you know, tank shells. This made me think when I was in the market for a car, you know, about a decade ago, uh, I was <laughs> I'll tell you about an, a car from the 1950s, which is funny, uh, more more, you know, more in line with the time period we're talking about. But I, I bought a 1950 Plymouth, which is made out of solid steel. And the amazing thing about these cars is that the, it was a tank. You, you didn't worry about getting hit by a car. My insurance was so low because there wouldn't be any damage to the car. Uh, I mean, so it's a much different much different mindset because nowadays, you know, a car is made to crumple. Then it was made to last and kind of blast through everything. But now cars completely crumple. And when I was buying a car, they had smart cars. They've since gone out of business. But I remember before I, I was I was researching some of the safety features. And this car, one of the downsides was that it was so small and it was so light that if it got into an accident with a car, you know, two magnitudes bigger, I, I'm making up names, things here. If it was much significantly bigger than the smart car, it would become airborne after getting hit. So, I mean, and this was a frequent problem, but this goes to what you're talking about. And then, and I know when it comes to physics, this has to be, you know, this is a monumental shift from obviously tanks to this crumple zone protection, but it seems to protect the person inside. So it's an interesting, complete reversal. You know what I mean? Oh, it totally is. And it really just comes down to something we've talked about in a number of defensive situations. And, and Ben even alluded to this. It's all about energy transfer, right? There is a certain amount of energy in a collision. That energy is either going to go into the cars or it's going to go into you. Um, and if it goes into the cars and the car <laughs> right. crumples, there's no energy left to go into you. So it, it really is a design feature to protect people. Um, now, when cars were going much slower, right, 
the energies were lower. So if you think about it, not having the car get destroyed at all, but maybe vibrate, the energy can go into sound and vibration, and there still wasn't left over for you. So building a basic tank was okay. I mean, and besides, you didn't wear a seatbelt, and hopefully you were flopping around in ways that didn't hit the steering wheel. Um, <laughs> right. You know, and now we're, we're driving faster fundamentally, right? So actually, accidents have gotten more dangerous, had more energy, and you really need the car to take up that energy. And so the net effect is if you breathe at your bumper, it pops off and it costs $1,000 to repair, which <laughs> in the solid steel cars, as you know, you almost never had to repair a bumper. I don't think so. I don't think there's a car around today that could have damaged that bumper. <laughs> they were all phased out, you know. Uh, but you know, speaking of phased out, one of the things that I thought was kind of interesting here, and this isn't science or technology, but I found this to be interesting because it's around this hydro stomper. You know, we mentioned the hydro stomper showing up. Now, I don't normally go in this way, but what I actually really enjoyed about this episode is that it had this kind of feminist bent to it, right? You've got you've got Captain Carter, you know, and in some ways, as you mentioned, Ben, she's almost a superior Captain America. Uh, normally, you know, in the times we live in, people do this just, just to do it without any real substance behind it. But I felt in this story, there was some great substance behind it, great storyline, and I was really into it. And I was like, yes, Captain Carter's going to be the hero. This works. It's a great story. Then all of a sudden, goofy Steve Rogers, who without the soldier serum, like, why are we using him anyway? I mean, he's, he's, he's not Captain America. I mean, that's over. Sorry, sorry, Steve. It's over for you. It didn't work, you know, whatever. But then they give him a suit. And now, you know, now we got uh, another guy walking in and now he's the superhero and it changes the dynamic fundamentally. Um, I thought they didn't have to do this. I mean, it's interesting to explore in a quantum world, but if you're going to do a quantum world, do something different, I say. Um, did, did this bother either one of you? Well, Dan, it only actually bothered me after you mentioned it. Um, but I think that was because I was <laughs> yes. I, 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 I was struggling with the physics. I will say it was interesting. Um, I, I clearly watched this movie, this TV show, I was about to say movie, this TV show in a fairly clear, clueless mode and mood at the time. Um, I, I, I was, you know, really, somehow the whole stomper thing, I know it was there. Partly I didn't really pay attention to him. I was focused on, you know, um, Peggy Carter as Captain Carter. But I also noticed um, my daughter and some other people mentioned that in weird ways, they changed a little bit Peggy's personality um, in ways that were a little over the top and not quite um, with her. And, you know, you could ask, is that the super serum? Um, was that something else? And so you're right. Maybe a little more focus on her and really thinking carefully through her character um, would have been, um, you know, an interesting direction to go with the show. I don't know. What about you, Ben? Yeah, I think that's true. I also, but I also think giving Steve Rogers the suit in this case is just a continuation of the uh, the same dilemma they showed in First Avenger, where they were trying to find someone who was pure enough of heart, shall we say, to be entrusted with this power. And while Steve wasn't entrusted with the power of the super soldier serum in this case, he was still trusted enough to be given this suit you wouldn't want to put you know joe you know joe meanie soldier in this thing who is going to get drunk with the power uh you, they still trusted steve to do good with this power uh unlike the regular folk I would definitely be a Joe Meanie, I think. I might get drunk with power if you threw me into that. <laughs> I don't know that I'd make a very good superhero because I'd love to fly that thing around. I mean, you guys make an interesting point. I just, I felt like they had something here. 
Um, and, uh, you know, they just went in a different way with it. Uh, but speaking of going in a different way, how about going into an alternate dimension? Now, not a quantum world, an alternate dimension. we got to talk about the discrepancy, how di- what the difference is there. But we have this Tesseract, as you mentioned, Ben. And one of the cool things is it has enough power to open a dimensional portal to an entirely different world. And, you know, what I love is this Cthulhu-esque monster comes out. If you want to know more about Cthulhu, I've got a fascinating nouns episode on the history of Cthulhu and H.P. Lovecraft and his whole world. Um, but, you know, what kind of power... First of all, Denon, i got to ask you, the difference between a quantum world and a portal for those listening. Obviously, a quantum world's not going to contain a gigantic tentacled monster, but I think you can go deeper than that. And also, what's the power generation? What, what do we need to open something like that? Well, I, I really think we've talked about this before, and I think in this case, what you're probably actually just making because of the way the Tesseract works and controls space um, and transporting through space is you're actually probably just going to another world in our universe, Dan. So there mm. really are those three options. And I think this is okay. much more kind of a wormhole situation. Um, and, you know, <laughs> those are, those are wormhole situations. You got to look out for those. Things. You got to watch out for those. You know, when, yeah. it's really one of those funny things. When science fiction talks about a different dimension, they are really talking about a physically different space time structure, you know, another bubble of space time or another sort of concrete world, as it were. Whereas the quantum many worlds is really having to do with the wave function, having multiple probabilities. So there's strong similarities, but it's sort of a different underlying cause. But I do think here, you know, look, there probably is a world where tentacle creatures dominate somewhere in the universe from evolution. And, you know, and you would be upset if suddenly a wormhole opened up next to you and you started getting sucked through it. So it's not surprising that it came through in an angry fashion. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'll give you that. Now, what about, Ben, do you think if you had to pick a place in the universe, where would a tentacle monster be that we're, we're warping to? Well, I I think it's probably another plan. I mean, first of all, I think it's more of a Cthulhu hole, not a wormhole. But <laughs> fair enough. Fair uh, enough. But I I think it's you know we could. I, I think the reality is it it's, could just be any any planet where we have a situation where this kind of creature has evolved. You know, we see the Tesseract as a way to get between, say, uh, Midgard and Asgard, or Midgard and uh, Svartalheim, or uh, the frost giant land, all these places, but they're all in that same universe. And so I think it's just, you know, they found a universe where there's these cool tentacle creatures. You know, it's, I think the Cthulhu, Cthulhu guard is probably the right answer. And, you know, and if you say the word Hydra enough, which is what they're doing, you get a Hydra like creature, right? Yeah. Hydra guard. There you go. Yeah, right. <laughs> Hydra guard. I mean, it makes the most sense to me. I have to say, which is saying a lot. Uh, but, you know, if we've missed anything, if there's any other portal, if there's any other weird word Ben could have said that he missed out on, you know, this is the place <laughs> to talk about it. Our errors, additions, and omissions section, things we want to talk about, but we didn't quite get to. Denon, was there anything about what if that we didn't quite get to? Well, we didn't get to the fact that I was really confused by how Captain Carter ended up with a sword at the end. Very handy for cutting up Hydra monsters. Um, I love the fact that I'm just like trying to figure out, was it a magical sword? Did she pull it out of a stone? Is she now King Arthur also? And all, and you, you all very kindly reminded me she was in a castle. Um, and we all know that swords are just lying around on the wall in castles at all times to be drawn and defend. So I, I love the sword and it was very reminiscent of, of, you know, some of the other things we've talked about. Um, I believe it's in Goonies, if I may make a reference to one of our things, where the mom finds random implements around the house to fight 
No, not Goonies. What am I saying? Um, oh my God, I totally blew that one, Dan. Uh, <laughs> wait, th- wait, so. Th- Oh, I know what you're about. Gremlins, where they Gremlins. Run it's the just, other yeah. G one. Gremlins, the yeah, mom. Yeah. Right. My favorite yeah. scene where mom goes all self defense. So I've decided the mom and Captain Carter are two people in other what if alternate universes <laughs> that are somehow connected. So that's my other big error in addition. And the error I made was getting the movie Gremlins confused with Goonies. <laughs> so that's my new error in addition. The Peltzer pulverizer. That's what chopped him up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. what about what about you, Ben? Is there anything that we missed that you wanted to talk about? Well, just a quick cor- correction. There's 10 to the 67 uh, different <laughs> types of uh, decks of uh, different shuffles of a 52 card deck. So, you know, just think about that. Uh, 67 zeros. It's a lot of different decks. But in terms of uh, Captain Carter, I I just also really liked. I just have to go back to that. How Captain Carter, being an independent uh, person, just gets more things done. It just shows you that the Good-hearted agent can do can sometimes do a better job uh, defying orders than a too strict uh, military. Well, also, you know, keep in mind that you know the reason why Steve Rogers was chosen is because he was good-hearted. Um, so, the, so the good-hearted part isn't there, but it's that that following rules without question, and that's the British thing. I mean, it's a little different. Uh, I agree with you completely. I love that part. Um, so, here are some of my additions. These are just comics that were what-if comics that I thought were interesting from the world. Uh, What if the Avengers beat everybody? That's a real comic. Uh, What if Wolverine (laughs) killed Hulk, which is kind of a scary concept? What if if Punisher became Venom? That's the one I really want to read. And what if Iron Man, this is this one's for you, Denon. What if Iron Man was trapped in the time of King Arthur? I think that would answer all of your questions. I may find that comic and, and give it to you. Uh, that may be a, a look for that in an upcoming gift for, for who knows. I will. Celebration. Um, now, this week, normally this is the spot we reserve for a question, but I've got something even better for you guys than a question. I have an update. I have an update. Do you guys remember the student who to, uh, named Isabel Kasselmeer who looked at our WandaVision uh, episode to use as a source for her paper? Do you guys remember yes. this? Yes. Well, I've got good news for you. Well, how do you, how do you guys think she did? Knowing the effort we put into WandaVision, knowing how completely we explained it, how do you think as a source, how, do you think, how prepared do you think she was for her class? Oh, clearly completely prepared. I mean, I only train A students, Dan. <laughs> Fair enough. What about you, Ben? I want to know what you think. How do, how do you think she did? I, I got to assume at least an A++. <laughs> well, you guys are exactly right. She got an A on her paper, and she wanted to give us a thanks. Uh, she put sent it on our YouTube page right on there. Uh, so congratulations to you. And remember, listening to this, if you listen to this and you have kids, we're going we're gonna to get them through life. You know, We're going to get them through college. Single-handedly, we're going to help them ace their science and technology classes at the very least. Um, possibly even psychology. We're really good at that as well. And we're also good and making stuff up, which is a lesson that is a skill in life that is grossly underrated. Uh, But if you think there are any other skills in life that are grossly underrated, you can get in touch with us. You can find the show on Twitter. It's at FGGGBTPod. We are on Facebook at FGGGBT. And we now have an email address, which is questions at FGGGBT.com. But if you want to get in touch with us individually, it's easy to do. You can get in touch with us by doing exactly what Dr. Michael Denon is about to tell you to do. If you want to get in touch with him, how do we do it, Denon? Well, Dan, it's uh, Twitter and Instagram is easy. You just flip my name. It's at Denon Michael. 
And then if you're looking for me on Facebook, it gets a little trickier. You got to stick a prof in there. It's at Prof Denon Michael. Ben, how can people get in touch with you? You can find me on all the major social media networks at B Seepser. How do you spell that? You spell that B S I E P S E R. And I can be found on Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn, on Instagram at The Daniel J. Glenn, and on Facebook at Analytical Mastermind. And if you're watching us on your favorite podcast platform, make sure you're subscribed and definitely rate and review. If you enjoyed this video, hit the like button, subscribe, and ring that bell so you never miss an episode. And remember, this show contains powerful scientific information that will help you take over the world. Well, you don't want to do that. Don't take over the world. Use it for good. Remember, be responsible with this information. Always keep in mind, you want to be a superhero and not a supervillain. So until next time, thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, of course, if you're listening to this episode and you've gotten this far, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? We're on all the major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. But if you're not already subscribed to those platforms, I made it easy for you. Go to our website, ftriplegbt.com. You'll find links to those subscribe buttons and also links to our social media, both for the show and for our individual experts, the members of the Brain Trust. That's all right there ftriplegbt.com. And before you leave, don't forget to check out our other episodes. You can find the link at the top of the page for everything we've got, and you'll notice that we've got both a YouTube version and an audio-only version, depending on what you like. We got it for you, and if you do like those videos, you can go ahead and subscribe to those as well. We're on youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. And once again, if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to danieljglenn.com to find out more. Thank you for listening.